Let me invite you to take your Bibles and join us in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. We'll read to the end of the chapter this morning. Just two paragraphs. The second is twice as long as the first, but essentially the same point is being made, only a different application. So we will read them together and think about the application accordingly. I want to suggest a a summary statement before we begin. This is actually what's being taught here by Peter. And that is simply submit to the king as servants of God, just like Christ. Submit to the king as servants of God, just like Christ. You'll recall that Peter writes to a group of people who are no fan of the king. The king, of course, is the Roman Caesar, and he is antagonistic to Christians. He is uh, the reason that these people, you'll recall back in chapter 1, verse 1, they are alien, they are exiles in a far country. They've been displaced from their own country because of this persecution from the government, and uh, they're living in what today we call the nation of Turkey, Asia Minor. And uh, they've, they've been displaced. And you would expect that people who have been put on the run by a, an opposing king would uh, find plenty of uh, opportunity to be bitter, plenty of opportunity to be critical, plenty of opportunity to be a lot of other things. And yet in the midst of all of that, Peter says, don't. So... This is an interesting passage of Scripture, in part because we, like, we labor with how to apply it in our culture. In America, we are a free society. Uh, we have democratic government. In fact, the government is uh, people-centered, you might say, allegedly. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, but I, I would tell you that the, the government is the people, ultimately. And uh, so we, we elect people. We, we have a democratic process where we're actually giving and taking and uh, offering political speech and so forth. So the, the question as we read 1 Peter 2 is how does that apply to this? How does that work in this society? And what are the principles that we can apply? Because God, if God ordained the ancient forms of government... God has also ordained our form of government, the so-called democratic republic. Uh, that, uh, this, this government has been raised up for a season that God has ordained, and we honor that and express joy in that. So we read these passages of Scripture and we seek to apply them. And I will try to do that today without, number one, confusing anybody and uh, ideally... Number two, not offending anybody. I'm pretty convinced we got a better shot at not confusing than not offending. (laughs) But hey, let's read. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, 
that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Well, let me offer a couple of matters of clarity as we read this passage and think about it together with you. Number one, in the very first verse, the word institution, human institution. The word translated institution is the word creature. To which you say, well, why didn't they just translate it creature? Well, I don't know. You have to ask the translators. Uh, I have great respect for people who translate the Bible from the original languages into the language of the people. That's, hard. That's a hard job. Uh, and I respect them very, very much. And the fact that I may disagree with one or two or three uh, doesn't mean that I have the utmost respect for them. But I do believe that this would better be translated something akin to human creature, meaning things that have been created or brought up, and they are talking about humans. The word institution suggests that, that there are these other entities that uh, somehow, because they are human institutions, and there are many, you know, uh, hospitals are human institutions, schools are human institutions. Uh, we, we, we could say, should we be subject to all of them? Well, in the right context, Certainly, but, but uh, just generally, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about creatures, and he amplifies that in verse 14. Or to governors as sent by him to punish or, and praise. So the emperor and the governor. So he specifically is talking about high-ranking human creatures, human people. So that's the first thing I would point out. The second thing is the second paragraph appears to have zero application, right? Because he's talking about slavery. Servants, be subject to your masters. He uh, says down in verse 20, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it? I'm pretty sure none of us have been beaten this week uh, in this context. So we think, we read this and we say, well, that's got nothing to do with me. Well, of course, we're going to take these first century contexts and apply them, the principles, to our 21st century context. And so, obviously, the easiest apples to apples, or at least apples to plums, 
uh, leap would be to suggest that this is a reference to employers and employees. So we'll try to make that application uh, this morning. So again, I'm going to reiterate what I think is the essential point, and that is submit to the king and, I might say, your employer as servants of God just like Christ. Submit to the king as servants of God just like Christ. So I want to show you this as it works out here, and then we'll try to make application. He says plainly in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature or institution. Emperors, governors, they are sent by him, verse 14 says, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So he's, he's not soft, he's not indirect, he's not subtle here. He says, submit for the Lord's sake to these human authorities. We are to do that. You'll recognize this language is very similar to perhaps the more famous passage on submitting to the government in Romans 13. I'll just read five verses of Romans 13 as a reminder. These written not by the Apostle Peter, but rather by the Apostle Paul, but you'll see they are virtually identical. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to do, uh, rather to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. God intends that we submit to the king and ultimately to our authority. How does that work in our society because we are a democratic republic? Well, of course, we are encouraged by the government to speak into the government. Our laws exist to actually permit a voice into the government, and we should absolutely do that as God gives us grace to do that. But ultimately, and this would be true of the second illustration here, servants and masters or employees and employers, your employer says something, you know, this is what I want you to do, and somehow you think that's wrong or bad or, or not wise or any number of other adjectives we could offer, and you offer some pushback or some appeal, and you say, can I, can I give another idea? Can I propose a, a different approach and so forth? And you exhaust your appeal process, and it ultimately the boss comes back and says, I want you to do it my way. I would suggest there's not a person here who has not disagreed with the government, nor has not disagreed with your boss. And if that has been the case in either of your lives, you're probably less than 13 years old. So, having said that, these two circumstances are extremely practical for us. Submit to the king and to your employer. We should do so, obviously, not negating the fact that we have the opportunity to speak against these decisions. We've been encouraged to do that. 
But ultimately, once the decision has been made, there's a responsibility. And that responsibility is to somehow go back to the verbs, the action. Always look for the verbs because that's where the action is. Somebody told me that in grammar training way back and I had never got over it. That's where the action is. Look for the action. What should you be doing? How should you be responding to these situations? Well, verse 13, submit. That's pretty clear, plain. Be subject. He goes on to verse 17, and there's four imperatives, four commands. Honor, love, fear, and honor. The most, if you will, counterculture of all of these is this phrase, honor the emperor. Now, in the first century, the emperor would have been the Roman Caesar. And he's the guy that's actually responsible for these folks having to leave houses and lands and property and everything and run for their very lives. And Peter is now saying to them, hey, you guys are over there in Turkey. Honor the emperor. <coughs> what kind of response do you think Peter's letter would have gotten amongst that crowd? Submit to the king. I don't know how you're receiving it today. Submit to the government. Well, clearly, we know that the government has the authority to command many things, except that which is illegal. We could debate what's legal and not legal. But as Christians, we're not commanded to follow the government blindly. Nobody's suggesting that, least of all Peter. If the government commands us to do something that is immoral, commit murder, commit adultery, steal from our neighbor, these things are immoral. These things are violations of God's express commandments in the scripture. Thou shalt not. Doesn't get any clearer than that. I mean, murder is not, not a gray area. Stealing, not a gray area. Lying, not a, it's not a gray area. So we know if the government commanded these things, and the government, to my knowledge, is not commanding these things, then we should not obey the government. The Bible no way is suggesting that we should obey the government at all costs, the cost of our own uh, morality or even our own conscience. In fact, that is the argument that he makes back in Romans 13, the last verse I read. One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. He's suggesting that your obedience to the government is a matter of conscience, meaning that the Holy Spirit resides in you to build a conscience. I remember before I was a Christian, or immediately after I was a Christian, while the Lord was sort of sandpapering my life, short-circuiting certain values, growing me into an awareness of what was right and wrong in my life and so forth, that the Holy Spirit's job via the Scripture and via the sensitivity to preaching and other things People in my life would say, you know, you shouldn't do that. And there would be a conviction. Or to use this word, there, there would be a growing conscience. It's my conviction, according to my growing conscience, that that which I used to do, I don't do. I won't do. I can't do anymore. Why? Because God is growing my conscience. So I actually have a conviction about these things. And every one of us who are Christians, this is true. God is growing us to have convictions about things. Now, those convictions 
are not more authoritative than the Scripture. So again, to use an obvious illustration, the Scripture says, thou shalt not, and it doesn't matter what your conscience says, but the Bible is clear. And the Bible always trumps your conscience, friend. Always. But that is to say that there are areas in our lives where the Bible has not spoken explicitly. But the Holy Spirit, because of our faithfulness to God and our growth in Christ, is building a conscience. And this conscience guides us. And he's suggesting here that an area where you ought to have a conscience is to acknowledge that God has called you to submit to earthly authorities. Submit to the king. And he is not vague about it. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It's uh, always kind of interesting. You know, people, when they find something they, they don't like in the Bible, people want to double clutch there and say, you know, that, that's not really what he meant or that's not really what he intended or, you know, I just, I just don't buy that. I just can't agree with that, so forth and so on which is pretty interesting here because the phrase honor the emperor that concludes verse 17 is immediately after the phrase fear God. Well, let me say it this way. There may be people in this room who want to debate whether we should honor the emperor, but there's nobody in this room that wants to debate fear God. It's in the same verse. In fact, it's right next to each other in the same verse. So we don't get out of jail card here. We have to honor the emperor. But his logic is that we do so because we are servants of God. Somehow, honoring the emperor makes us a servant of God, that we're actually doing religious things. Invariably, uh, I have conversations with people who feel inadequate as servants of God. Now, this may not be you, and if so, then just daydream for 60 seconds. Come back. But uh, invariably, I run into a lot of people who say, well, you know, I, I don't have the gift of this or the gift of that. You know, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good singer. I'm not a good teacher, whatever. And I'm just a, kind of a, you know, a lower rung person. That, that is not in the Bible. The Bible says that every follower of Christ is significant and that every follower of Christ is a son or daughter of the king. Now, we don't all do the same thing in the family, but we're all in the family. And there are no minor members of anybody's family. I don't know if you've got one member in your family or 15 in your family. But there are no junior members of the family. You're either in the family or you're not. And if you are, you got perks. You got benefits. You got joy. You actually belong. You matter. You're significant. They count your head at night, make sure you're in the bed. That they, because they, they love you, they care about you. They're not counting anybody else's head, they're counting yours because they love you. So in this case, you might say, well, what can I do for God? Well, I don't know. Let's read 1 Peter 2. Try to find something you can do for God. Honor the emperor. Who 
here can't do that? Who here shouldn't do that? And his argument is, we are servants of God. Notice how he phrases it, verse 13. Be subject or submit for the Lord's sake. Somehow, you are serving God when you do this. He goes on, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Uh, Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures. Why should you do these things? Because you're mindful of God. Because God rules in your life. Because God owns you. You've been bought with a price. And oh yeah, the price is the blood of the Son of God. And you don't get to write your own script. You don't get to decide whether we turn left or right. Or whether we just throw it in neutral and sit here for a while. You don't get to decide that. You're mindful of God, and He actually owns this. He continues in the verse 20. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He concludes in verse 25. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd. The illustration here is that we were sheep. We're turned out in this beautiful pasture, and there are walls or fences around this pasture, and we have jumped the fence. Now we've been brought back. We've been bought with a price. Can you imagine? We're running livestock. One of our animals jumps the fence, gets in the neighbor's pasture, and instead of going over and saying, hey, Bill, you know, neighbor Bill, I'd like to get my animal back. Bill said, sure, for a price. We'd say, that's not a good deal, Bill. I own that animal. Yeah, but you you can't have him unless you pay for him. Well, it turns out that's the gospel, friend. That you don't get to come back to the one who owns you until somebody pays the price for you to come back. Turns out when you jump that fence, that was a one-way jump. You don't come back unless the one who owns you buys you back. We are servants of the one who owns us because he first of all made us and second he bought us. He's got a lot invested in every one of us. So why should we honor the king, the governor, and everybody else? Why should we honor these authorities in our lives? Because we're servants of God. That's what we are. But he doesn't end there. We're to honor the king as servants of God because we are those who aspire to be just like Christ. He's very explicit here. In uh, verse 21, for to this, meaning honor the king, submit to your authorities, your employer. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Just like Christ, again, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. The Lord here, clearly a reference not to the Father, but to the Son, for the Lord's sake. Why should we submit to these authorities? Because We're following Christ. 
I've been teaching through Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, over the last several months on Wednesday nights, and we've come to the resurrection, or pardon me, to the crucifixion. You'll recall Jesus is arrested in the middle of the night. He's taken to the home of the high priest, and there's a kangaroo court that meets in the middle of the night. The middle of the night. What court meets in the middle of the night? The answer is zero, except ones who are breaking the law. So Jesus goes before the high priest of Israel in the middle of the night at his house in a court scene against the law. And you would say, well, if I were Jesus, I'd have gotten me a better defense attorney. Could have got out of that. Well, of course, if he'd have got out of that, (laughs) you'd have more problems than whether or not you're going to submit to the emperor. But Jesus is quiet for the high priest. The high priest brings in paid witnesses who lie about Jesus. They make up charges against him. And finally, they're getting nowhere, and the high priest is exasperated. He looks at Jesus, tell us, tell us, are you the Christ? And Jesus says, well, you've said so. But you will soon see the Son of Man. And he quotes Daniel 7. Daniel 7 said, you will soon see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. In Daniel 7, that is a reference to the second coming of Christ. It is a reference to the Messiah. And everybody knows it, so the high priest tears his clothes. I don't recommend that. That was tradition then, not now. Don't be doing that. Tears his clothes. We don't need any more witnesses, even these cheapskate liars that we paid to come in here. We don't need any though. We heard it with our own ears. They sent in to Pilate. Pilate, these guys begin to prosecute Jesus. Tell Pilate, he's this, he's this, he's this, he's this. Pilate looks at Jesus and says, what do you say for yourself? Jesus says, nothing. Pilate says, are you not talking? What's the deal here? Why, why are you not speaking up? Jesus says, nothing. Why does this matter? Because we're like Christ, you see. We're called to be followers of Christ. He points to this in verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It turns out that the high priests are not the judge, that Pilate's not the judge, that all these earthly people are not the judge. The emperor's not the true emperor. The governor's not the true governor. There's only one ruler over us, and he's the one who judges justly. And we're called to submit to earthly authorities as a witness to earthly authorities that we are followers of the heavenly authority. Anybody can do this. Didn't say it was easy. But you don't have to be able to teach the Bible in a grand way. You don't have to be able to sing and dance or anything else, you know, that people are impressed with. You don't have to have these tricks. You just have to be faithful to the one who bought you with a price, who judges you justly who left you an example in his own son to go and emulate. We have the great privilege in our culture to be able to speak into the government. And we should. But having done that, then we have run out of options for how to be a true Christian witness. 
We are not to run around and lead some sort of evil anything response to this. We are to be honorable and we are to submit honorably. We are to do so because this is the will of God and this is the example of Christ. I'm reminded that as I said earlier after the choir sang, that we, we try to reduce the Christian life into you know, a list of do's and don'ts. And I strongly discourage that. It's not just that. It, cl- it clearly include, it includes do's and don'ts. But it is certainly more than that. It's a life. Again, think about when you share a life with someone, whether it's a biological family or whether it's a marriage when you share a life with someone there are a list of do's and don'ts I remember when I went to college I roomed in an apartment with three other guys that apartment did not prosper uh, but we decided you know who would wash dishes that was before you Everything was just paper. If we were alive, if we were doing that today, we just, you know, we'd commit to paper, period. But that, we had dishes. We had, somebody had to do that. Somebody had to vacuum. Somebody had to clean the facilities. Somebody had to do all this stuff. And so we set out with these great dreams that we would, we would all carry our load. It turns out, Some guys don't carry their load and they move in with you and then you got to figure out how to make it work. And the relationship's more important, isn't it, than your disappointments. There's a lot of people in our lives And they can disappoint us. But the relationship matters. And here's what God says. If you're a Christian, there's a relationship that matters so much that you care about that relationship more than your do's and don'ts. And that in fact, your do's and don'ts bow to the relationship. I have joked about it. When my wife leaves, the bed is never made. Never. One of our girls admitted at Christmas that she does not make her bed on a regular basis. My wife was aghast. (laughs) But when my wife walks in after being gone for a while, visiting the kids or the grandkids or whatever, the bed is always made, just in the nick of time. (laughs) And the reason for that, because what really matters is not the list. What matters is the relationship. And if the relationship trumps everything, then the list is automatically 
generated. I do what I do, and you do what you do, not on the basis of an external pressure of a list, but because there is a relationship that so transforms you, that so motivates you, that so drives you, that so owns you, that it automatically generates a list. That's the argument. Submit to the king. As servants of God. Just like Christ. You know. The one who died. For you. You say, well, it's hard. Well, it's not as hard as dying for people who don't love you. That's harder than anything I've ever done. So now I get to live the glory of Christ. And I invite you to come and not only do it with me, but help me be successful. We're not going to do it alone. Christ matters so much. He could command even this. Let's pray. Father, help us as we submit to kings, to governors, to all earthly authorities, even our employers. Help us to be men and women who are committed to doing the right thing which is to honor those in authority over us. Let us give honor where honor is due. And honor is due. Because of Christ, who loves us, gave himself for us. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.